face. Push up, push up, that is clear from the place. Pull up, pull up, like be me on the place. You're gonna notice that this video is edited, and that is to save time. And that way, when I mess up or if I say something stupid, I can just skip it and move on. And so there was an example just right there. Um, it's great to be with you this morning. If you haven't gotten to meet, my name is Daryl. I used to live in Shaman. My family used to live in Shaman. We left in January, and um, God has led us back to the United States. Uh, things have changed for us. My last video sermon was recorded in August from Colorado, but I have since moved to the great state of Texas. This is where I was born, and I'm happy to be back. The Lord led us back to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and so we are living in the Lone Star State. I'm preparing to start a new job and excited to see what God has in store for us as we seek to be part of expanding the reign of Jesus all over the world. And so it's been great to be here. Uh, I've had uh, Ethiopian food with a brother from Ethiopia. I've had Nepali food with a brother from Nepal. I've had Chinese food with Chinese people, Mexican food with Mexican people. Uh, so there is every kind of person in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. Virtually every nation is represented here. I've yet to have Ghanaian food with anyone from Ghana, though, so I welcome my Ghanaian brothers to come to the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and then my world will be more complete. Uh, most of you know that I love music, and I thought this morning I would start by sharing a song with you all. This song is called Generous, and I welcome you as you hear it and learn it to sing along. You are generous, so generous We cannot number all your gifts Words of life flow from your lips, my King You are generous, so generous You give it all and nothing less We breathe your grace with every breath we sing You are generous So generous From the stars in the sky to the blood in my veins Your mercy rests on all you have made The earth is full of your steadfast love From the dust below to the heavens above Generosity unfathomable You are generous, so generous We cannot number all your gifts Words of life flow from your lips, my King You are generous, so generous You give it all and nothing less We breathe your grace with every breath we sing You are generous so generous Lame men walk And blind men see Fishes and loaves For everybody Water to wine And in the end You gave your life To save your friends Generosity unfathomable You are generous, so generous You cannot number all your gifts Words of life flow from your lips, my King 
You are generous, oh generous You give it all and nothing less We breathe your grace with every breath we sing You are generous So generous You are generous, so generous We cannot number all your gifts Words of life flow from your lips, my King You are generous, so generous You give it all and nothing less We breathe your grace with every breath we sing You are generous So generous God is so generous. He's so good. Well, this morning, uh, I've been assigned Ephesians chapter 4 and most of chapter 5. So let's get right to it. Let me pray for us, and then we'll read the scripture. Father, thanks for this opportunity to share your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would cause it to come alive, and it would transform each of us to become more like Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, so if you have your Bible or your phone, go ahead and open up to Ephesians chapter 4. And uh, I'm going to read from chapter 4, and we're going to go till chapter 5, verse um, 20, I think is where I'm supposed to go to. <laughs> so, um, you know, the, the Bible was not divided into chapters until like the 13th century, and then into verses in, uh, I think, the 15th century, or the uh, the 1500s, maybe, uh, by a French scholar divided it into verses. And so, uh, you know, for that matter, for most of Christianity, not only were there no chapter or verses, there were no printed Bibles. So, um, you know, for most of Christian history, uh, the average believer did not have access to the Bible. Um, so praise the Lord, we are a privileged people indeed to have the scriptures so readily available to us. But Ephesians, as uh, the brothers who have taught before me have explained, was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote. And so he wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus. And, um, you know, I can imagine that the first time it was read, someone said, whoa, that's awesome. Hey, can I get a copy of that? You know, would you mind if I, if I copy that? And so, you know, people would make copies of these letters and then they would be passed around. In fact, in uh, one of his epistles, Paul even says, I want you to read the letter that I wrote to that church and uh, in, in exchange, take your letter and give it to them. And then you read their letter. So the churches would, would swap these letters uh, that Paul had written and they would be built up by what Paul was sharing because as he wrote in Ephesians, he had a revelation of the mystery of God. He had a revelation of God's eternal purpose that in Christ... God was uniting heaven and earth. God was bringing heaven and earth together through his son, Jesus, and that in Christ, he had created a new creature, like uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about that. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. And so Paul is saying in Ephesians, this new creature is no longer Jew and is no longer Gentile. It's a new creation. Uh, it's a new man. And that in Christ, the hostility between Jew and Gentile has been wiped out. 
because both Jew and Gentile can be included in the covenant of God, and both Jew and Gentile can live in the commonwealth that is God's kingdom. We both, Jew and Gentile, can now coexist uh, in love in God's kingdom under the reign of Jesus, and that is what the church is, the, the called-out ones who represent God's government, the kingdom of God, here on earth. And we live in the church in harmony with one another regardless of any background or any baggage that we may bring, any kind of ethnic tension that uh, tribes and ethnicities may have between one another. All of those things are destroyed in Christ, and we get to live united with Christ, as uh, 1 Corinthians six seventeen says, that our spirit has been joined with the spirit of Christ, so we're joined together with God, and we also get to live united with one another that we're joined to each other through Christ, regardless of our political beliefs or our uh, languages that we speak or the color of our skin or anything like that. Christ has made us all one. And so Paul would write these letters, and the church obviously was very blessed by them, and people would copy them down and circulate them. So all that to say, we're, we're jumping into the middle of this letter now in chapter 4. So uh, chapters 1 through 3, as you guys have already heard, um, Paul has laid out the extraordinary mystery of the gospel, that Jesus has united us with God the Father, has seated us in heavenly places. Basically, now that we have access to God's throne room through Jesus Christ, and that we're blessed with every spiritual blessing you know and I, that song that god has been so generous god has not withheld anything good from us he's given us everything that we need for life and godliness in his son jesus and uh so the first three chapters of ephesians are paul laying out uh, the theology of this extraordinary mystery that uh, has been revealed to him and he talks about how we're uh, now we're blameless, we're above reproach, that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And so, uh, you know, he says that we're saved by grace, that it's not through being a good person, it's not through working really hard and trying to do things to please God that we're saved, but God just gives it to us as a gift of his grace, and that in Christ we've been made one, that there's no longer hostility between Jew and Gentile, because Jesus Christ destroyed the hostility and has made us all one. And so chapters one through three are kind of the, the knowledge foundation that we have to understand to be able to live out the Christian life. And so if, you, if we just jump in into chapter four, it would be easy for it to start to sound like a to-do list. Uh, this is my do-do list, as uh, one teacher likes to call it, <laughs> that, that we, we begin to put pressure on ourselves to perform that, oh, I have to, I shouldn't do these things, and I should do these things, and I have to try really hard to be a good Christian. And, uh, of course, there are things that we should and shouldn't do as followers of Jesus, but you, we, we need to put it in the context of uh, chapters 1 through 3, that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now on the inside of us. So it's not us trying really hard to be good people. It's that we are animated we are indwelled by the very Spirit of God, that God lives on the inside of us. We become his temple. And just like in the Old Testament, the temple was the touch point of heaven 
and earth meeting together. Now your body is the touch point of heaven and earth meeting together because God indwells you. And so this is not about you trying really hard to be a good person. This is about the Spirit of God empowering you to live as God created you to live. So God created Adam and Eve, and he gave them dominion over the earth. They existed for two purposes, to be in fellowship with God and to express God's dominion on the earth. And likewise, that is why you and I exist, to enjoy relationship with God and to be the expression of God's dominion on the earth. That God's dominion is the authority that he exercises in love. Jesus Christ came to restore mankind to his rightful place of being connected with God, not being separated from God, but exercising dominion as led by the Holy Spirit, not exercising dominion out of our flesh and out of independence from God, but exercising dominion out of our connectedness with God. So it's important to understand that because I, I don't want you to think that as we read this, oh, now I have to, you know, this is me trying really hard to be a good person. No, remember chapters one through three. That's the the danger of chapter and verses is that sometimes we approach things as, as separate and divided and chopped up. But uh, let's remember chapters one through three that have talked about how blessed we are, how much God has lavished on us, how much God has given to us. And then it's through that place of blessedness that we begin to live out uh, the kingdom of God, the reign of Jesus in our lives. Okay, here we go. Ephesians chapter 4. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So he's saying, it, it's shifting now. It's going from kind of the very high level understanding of what God has done in Christ to now the very boots on the ground level. Uh, this is going to be the practical expression of our calling in Christ. So he's saying, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. So the way that we walk is the way that we live our lives. That's what it means to walk. And so we want to live our lives in a way that's worthy of the calling that we have been given, the calling to be royalty, basically to be the children of God. You and I are the children of the high king of the universe, and God is calling us to live as royalty on the earth. Now, royalty, uh, sometimes we think of royalty uh, because of the examples that we've seen uh, people on the earth, and we think of people who basically give orders and tell everyone around them what to do for their own good. But the example that Jesus gives us in the scripture is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven is the one who lays his life down, the one who serves. And so Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for all mankind. And that is the example of royalty that we are to follow as children of God, as the royal sons of God on the earth. We follow the example of Christ, not the example of uh, pagan and uh, unsaved kings and queens who think that the the people exist for them. We follow the example of Christ who did not expect people to serve him, but he came to serve others. So as we live as royalty, we also seek to serve others even as Christ has served us. So a manner of the calling to which you've been called. This is the calling to which you and I have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, 
bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, notice we don't have to create the unity. We just have to maintain it because Jesus has already provided it. We don't have to, to, to make it. Jesus has given us the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and all we have to do is maintain it. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. So, you know, there are many different expressions of the church today. Many different institutions have been created by people. But Jesus did not come to set up an institution. Jesus did not come up to set up, did not come to the earth to set up an organization. He came to bring the kingdom of God near to earth. And the church is the people who live under the reign of Jesus, the people who belong to Jesus, who are called out by the Holy Spirit to represent Christ who belong to Christ. So it doesn't matter if you're, what, what label you would put on the church or the group that you attend or, or that, you know, that you identify with. There is one body. There's just one body. So there are many different kinds of expressions, many different churches. And you know, when you have an institution created by people, in that institution, there will be people who belong to Jesus, and there will be people who don't belong to Jesus. So you can have Christians and non-Christians in every denomination. I, I hope that doesn't offend anyone, but you can have you know, a church organization, a, a, a group of people that calls itself a church where nobody in that group is actually born again. There are organizations here in America that label themselves a church, but they don't believe that Jesus was the Son of God. They don't believe that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, but they still use the word church in their organizational name. So they're not really a church, even though they call themselves a church. And then there would be groups of people who get together and say, oh, well, well, really, we're just, you know, we're just a group of friends, or we're just a Bible study, or we're just a small group. But, but Jesus would look at them and say, no, you're a church. You're the expression of my body on the earth. So not everything that calls itself a church, using that word, is, is a church according to Christ. And not everything that doesn't call itself a church isn't a church. hope that's not too, too confusing. But my point is, as Paul's saying, there is one body, one Lord. One faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So there's one body, like I was saying, but there's different expressions of God's grace. Uh, over in First Peter chapter 4, verse 10, it says, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. So there are different expressions of this grace that's manifesting in our lives. Okay, but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth, he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And I don't want to get into this too much, but when Christ died, he descended into the earth and he led out the righteous people who had died before Christ had been sacrificed. And he, he set them free. He led them into heaven. He ascended into heaven, leading this uh, 
host of captives, this people where David said in the Psalms, you will not abandon me to the grave. Christ went and he rescued and, and, and set free those captives. And I'm sorry, we don't have time to get all into that. If you're interested, you can go check uh, out a podcast I did on, on that subject. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So God gave the church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And it's very important that these gifts all function in the body of Christ. So many churches only have a pastor. And if you it's it's like a wheel with a, a spoke that's too big or something. It's it's all cattywampus and it doesn't roll good. The pastor's duty, the way that the pastor cares and shepherds the flock and, and protects them is important. It's critical. We have to have it. But if that's the only function, then then the church kind of becomes this insulated sort of uh, uh you know, Christian club. So we need the evangelist to push out. We need the apostle to break new ground. An apostle is like a missionary, someone who goes to a new place, starts a new work of God, does something, uh, opens up a new a new territory to the gospel. And so we need those people in the church to push us so that the church doesn't just become this this club that's all you know, contained in itself. We need the prophets among us to speak out what's on God's heart. What is God doing in our midst? What is God inviting us to? And so we see that in Acts. That's the example that is recorded for us in the first church, that all of these gifts are functioning, and we need the teachers in the church uh, to, to teach the Word of God and to equip us. For what purpose? So that the saints can go do the ministry. Now, a lot of times we think of the teachers and the uh, the preachers, the the uh, pastors as the ones who are doing the ministry. But this says that those people are supposed to build up the body of Christ so that they can go do the ministry. So God's goal is to have a family of children who look just like Jesus. Can you imagine the whole earth full of hundreds of thousands or millions and millions of little Jesuses running around, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, proclaiming the forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. And that is God's goal. That's the, the purpose. That's what he's talking about, that we're all supposed to grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we're all supposed to be as loving, as selfless, as humble, as gentle as Jesus Christ was. And the purpose of the ministry that happens at church, the purpose of the pastor, the teacher, the evangelist, the prophet, the apostle, is to raise up the body of Christ so that the whole earth is full of the family of God expressing the goodness of God, being the expression of Jesus's body on the earth. Okay, so that's what the purpose of the church is, that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So, you know, when we, as we mature, and, and we, we hear different things that those things don't immediately come and just knock us over. Oh, you know, that um, I, I can't think of an example right now. But there's plenty of, of bad doctrine out there. 
and that when we hear these doctrines that we are so rooted, we're so mature, we're so confident in God's goodness that we are not tossed about, that we know whom we have believed. We know who Jesus Christ is. We believe that Jesus Christ is God's son, that he died, that he rose from the dead, and that he's indwelling me, and that I'm living my life under his reign, being directed by the Holy Spirit, living a holy life, living a life of love, a life of service, a life of humility and gentleness, and a life where the power of God can flow through me and touch those people around me. Okay, so he says we're not going to be uh, carried about by every doctrine and human cunning and craftiness. And, you know, people, it's so sad how people use religion and people use God to deceive people and to um, basically use them to make money. But uh, apparently, obviously, nothing new under the sun that's been going on forever. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So this is the goal. This is what God is after, to mature us all as sons until we're all that we we all look like Jesus Christ. We're the expression of Christ on the earth. From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And what I just want to highlight there is it says basically we absolutely need one another. It says, when each part is working properly, the body grows and it builds itself up in love. We need each member of the body of Christ. We all need each other. And we need to be connected. You know, coming to Sunday morning service is great, but you have to be in a small group where you're connecting with other people in a meaningful way. Otherwise, we miss out. Otherwise, we are short. We're, we're missing your part. You have something to do, not just to go to a small group and receive and, and, and have someone take care of you. You have ministry to do when you participate in the body of Christ. You have a contribution that is absolutely critical because every part must work properly if we're going to grow and, and build, be built up the way that God wants us to be. If, if we just expect the pastor to do the work of the ministry, then uh, we are not going to be the expression of Jesus' body on the earth. We're just going to be a bunch of people who get together for a meeting, sing some songs, and listen to a sermon. But that's not what God is after. God is after a family that expresses his goodness and his love on the earth. Verse 17, now I say this and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, honestly, this should be its own sermon. It's so rich and so good. But basically... We can't think like Gentiles do. When Gentiles, and that's not talking about non-Jews, it's talking about people who don't have a covenant with God. So people who don't have a covenant with God, people who are not born again, when they 
face life's problems or, or when they just face life, when they get up out of bed in the morning, the only way they have to go through life is to rely on their minds. And he says, don't walk like the Gentiles do. Remember, to walk is the way that you live your life. Don't live your life just depending on your mind. That's what people without a covenant with God do. That's what the Gentiles do. All they can do is depend on their mind. And their minds are futile. Their minds are so limited, so finite, so uh, powerless to express what God really intended for humankind. So he's saying, you guys, don't be like the Gentiles who just depend on their minds. Well, if we're not just supposed to depend on our minds, what are we supposed to depend on? You know it. It's the indwelling Holy Spirit, that we have a renewed mind, that uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says that we have the mind of Christ. So we don't just depend on our own logic, our own intelligence. We have the Spirit of God informing us so that we can have a renewed mind. So that, that, that futility, when you depend on your mind, it leads you to this place of, dark, of, of darkness. Romans chapter 1 talks about this too, that people don't glorify God. They don't give thanks to Him. And so their hearts were darkened. Their minds were darkened. And um, that's what Paul is talking about here. And then as you... As you get this darkened mind, this hardened heart, you become calloused and give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Boy, you can literally see this uh, on the front page of, of almost any website, anything, that, that the things that are impure, the things that are gross, the things that are repulsive and disgusting and offensive, that they're not... That, that people become callous to those things, things that should cause us to be repulsed, things that should cause us to be disgusted. We become callous to those things. And, and people even begin to say, oh, no, those things are good. Those things are good. And if you say they're bad, you're a mean person. You're a mean, hateful person if you say that homosexuality is wrong. But that's a lie. That's the futility of our minds when we start making up our own, immor- our, our own moral standard. I just recorded a podcast a few days ago called Bad Ideas Do Not Improve With Time. I would encourage you to check that out. But he says that is not the way you learned Christ. And so we do not follow Christ in the futility of our mind, just depending on our own logic, but we follow Christ by the Holy Spirit. We believe in Christ because the Holy Spirit draws us to him. The Holy Spirit animates us. The Holy Spirit gives us the faith even to put our faith in Christ. And so we put off the old self, that old part of us. We don't walk in that anymore. We say, okay, that belonged to my old way of life. I'm going to get rid of that. And then we put on the new self, which is created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness, that God has given us a new nature and we get to make the choice. We are connected to Christ all the time. We live in Christ, but we walk, we can walk in the flesh or we can walk in the spirit. We can walk according to the flesh. Remember, according to means in agreement with or depending on. We can walk depending on the flesh, in agreement with our flesh, or we can walk depending on the spirit, in agreement with the spirit. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Hey, just real quick, um, you know, 
I know some people think that that means that you should always resolve your conflict before sunset, and that's probably a good principle anyway. But here's a here's a twist, and you can just test this and see if you think this might be another valid interpretation. What if don't let the sun go down on your anger means never stop being angry? What if he's talking about a righteous anger when he says, be angry and do not sin? What if there are things that are supposed to make us angry? What if things like abortion, things like uh, human trafficking, things like uh, people taking advantage of other people, what if those things are supposed to make us angry and we're not supposed to let go of that anger? We're not supposed to let the sun go down on our anger. So that could be an exhortation to righteous anger, not selfish anger, not, oh, you hurt my feelings and now I'm mad at you, but a righteous anger like Jesus had when he saw people buying and selling in the temple. Okay, just food for thought. Let's keep moving and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Isn't that awesome? That the thief should go from being selfish, from taking others from others that he's been transformed that jesus is his king now and not only does he work to provide for his own needs but he works to give the person who used to steal is now a person who provides how awesome is that that's what jesus does to a life let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear what if we just put a guard over our mouth and we let nothing come out of our mouth except God's grace, except things that would build up one another. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, if I gave my son a brand new car and I said, son, here's a car. I want you to go. I want you to enjoy it. I want you to, you know, go take care of the things you need to do. You can drive it to work. You can drive it to school, whatever, you know, whatever you need to do. And what if my son just... He said, no, you know, I'm not worthy and I'm just going to walk and I'm going to ride my bike and, uh, you know, I'm going to ride my skateboard because I, I, I know I really don't deserve it. I really don't deserve it. That would grieve my heart. That would make me so sad. And I believe Paul is saying, look, chapters one through three, God has provided so much for us. We are the royal family of God. We live now in the commonwealth of God. He said, you used to be strangers, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise and having no hope without God in the world. But now you have been brought near. Now you're part of God's family. Now you're in because of what Jesus did. And so I believe to uh, grieve the Holy Spirit is to live as though you're out, to live as though you're not in. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God. What an exhortation. I want you to be like God, to be godly. Remember, his goal is that we grow up into the fullness of Christ. His goal is that we mature and become like Jesus. And now he's saying, be an imitator of God. Remember the, the parable that Jesus told of the, the king who forgave like the, the huge, enormous debt of one of his slaves and then his slaves wouldn't forgive the debt of his fellow slave? That Christ is calling us. Remember, we're going back to verse 1 to a walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we've received. Christ is calling us to be like God, to be that magnanimous, to be that generous, to be that gracious, that patient, that giving, that loving. And walk in love as Christ 
loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You want to live like a king, don't you? You have something deep in your spiritual DNA that desires to reign, to live like a king, and that is from God. And the example for us is in Christ, that he gave himself up for us. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talking or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let me cross-reference Galatians chapter 5 real quick. Galatians 5 says, The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we walk in these things, when we walk in envy, when we walk in covetousness, when we walk in drunkenness, when we walk in sexual immorality, it doesn't mean that we're no longer Christians. You don't become a Christian and then become a non-Christian. You don't uh, you know, become saved and then become unsaved because you commit a sin. The Bible says that God has forgiven all of our sins by one sacrifice 2,000 years ago. So it's not that God starts counting our sins against us again after we get saved. Otherwise, no one could ever be saved. So God has forgiven all of our sins, past, present, and future. I, I hate to keep referring to podcasts, but there's just not time to go into every single topic here. So I would encourage you to check out this other podcast, Is God Punishing Me?, to understand how amazing God's forgiveness is in Christ Jesus, that God is never going to count our sin against us. But when we choose to walk in the flesh, we will not inherit the kingdom of God. Remember, the kingdom of God is not heaven. The kingdom of God is where Jesus reigns as king. It's where the king has his dominion, the kingdom. So we will not inherit the kingdom of God if we walk according to the flesh. Doesn't mean that you won't go to heaven when you die. If you're a believer, if God has forgiven your sins, Christ has saved you, you will spend eternity with God. And committing a sin, committing adultery, committing homosexuality, committing fornication does not disqualify you from going to heaven. But you can be sure that if you commit adultery, you will not inherit the kingdom of God in your marriage. Your marriage will not be the expression of the joyful, loving, peaceful reign of Jesus in your marriage. So inasmuch as you want to inherit the kingdom of God in every area of your life, you must submit to Jesus's reign, his dominion, his domain, his rulership over you is how we inherit his kingdom in every area of our life. And when we reject his reign, when we walk in the flesh, it doesn't mean that we're disqualified from going to heaven, but it does mean that we are not going to inherit his kingdom in that area of our life for sure. So there's a difference between people who are grieved by their sin and people who sin with, with no second thought. If the Holy Spirit is living inside of you, uh, when you 
commit fornication, when you commit sexual immorality, it's going to grieve you. You're going to regret it. You're going to be sorry. If you are living a life of impurity, a life of covetousness, a life of sexual immorality, and you think it's no big deal and it doesn't bother you, then most likely you do not have the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you. You are not a born-again believer because the born-again believer is grieved when they sin. It doesn't mean that they don't sin. It doesn't mean that they never walk in the flesh. Even the Apostle Paul said that he had not yet been made perfect. So we are all in process. He said in uh, Corinthians that we're all being transformed from one degree of glory to another degree of glory. We're all maturing. That's what he was saying earlier, that maturation by definition is a process. It's not instant. It's not that the day, you know, the moment after we give our lives to Jesus that we never walk in the flesh ever again. We do. We all do. And God has mercy on us and God forgives us and God still loves us and we are still qualified to stand before God as blameless. But it is true that in those areas we are not inheriting the kingdom of God. We're not experiencing God's reign. Let's go on. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful to even speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but is wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So Paul has taken us kind of from the 40,000-foot view of our salvation in Christ and what God has provided for us through Jesus to this practical now. This is how you're going to walk. This is how you have to live by the Spirit, that now you are a child of God. You belong to Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is in you. Let Be led by that Spirit. Stay in step with the Holy Spirit. Walk with the Spirit. Don't walk in those things anymore. Walk in these things. Don't walk in the darkness anymore. Walk in the light. And so it's getting very practical. And then in the coming chapters, it gets even more practical. He begins to give specific examples of husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters. And he's helping the church to see, okay, how are we going to live out this salvation, this gift of righteousness that God has given to us? Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for all that you've provided for us in Christ Jesus. I pray that we would be the expression of his body on the earth, that we would mature, we would grow up and become like Jesus, that we would not walk in the darkness, but we would walk in the light, and that in every area of our life, we would inherit the reign, the kingdom of God 
for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you, XICF.